0: Hey friends, it's Andy. Welcome to our new show, Accelerate Expresso. Look, I mean, I know you're busy, and it's hard to keep up with all six of the great episodes we publish each week. So with this show, Accelerate Expresso, we're going to deliver highlights from each episode from the previous week, and in the process, give you short, delicious shots of insight from a show you might have missed, and to help amp you up for the coming week. Now before we jump into it, please remember to visit iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, leave a review, please, for Accelerate. We need your feedback to ensure that we keep delivering the high levels of value you expect. Okay, let's Expresso. First up on this edition of Expresso from episode 494, it's my friend Townsend Wardlaw. Townsend's a sales transformation architect and a very entertaining guest. And This is his second appearance on Accelerate. In our conversation, we talk about some really quick fixes for poor sales productivity that any organization can implement.
1: It's the number one challenge that I see for selling organizations, and it's getting worse, not better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I'm, I'm not even talking about efficiency. I'm talking about the raw output of basic activities, right? At the end of the day, selling is a function of a number of in- interconnected activities that, that have to start someplace. And when you go all the way to the top and you say, what's going on to drive top of the funnel activity? I don't care what it is. There's not enough. Uh, as, as I've you know, shared before in this show, the things that I care about are obviously raw activity, but to me, the fundamental metra- metric that any organization can use to assess its health is how many top of the funnel first scheduled conversations are reps or whatever you call them on a week, right? If that number is any less than eight, you're sub-optimized, right? If you think about how a funnel plays out, how first conversations start to turn into discovery, turn into, you know, whatever your process is, every organization can sustain a minimum of eight, and and you know, ideally even more, like ten or more, top of the funnel first conversations. I'm talking a twenty minute, you know, hey, saw you on our website, or you know, whatever it is. In order to generate those conversations, you have to actually, you know, perform activities, emails, cold calls, social selling, whatever your little flavor of the month is. But when I actually look at what the reps are doing, the answer is typically one or two. Right? So, so there's the, the one leg of the stool is okay, so you're not on enough top of the funnel conversations. Then you say, okay, what's the root cause of that? And you go over and you look at the raw activity they're generating to try and you know create those first meetings, and you'll see 20 dials. Right? 20, 20 little phone dials, uh, possibly the same amount of emails, and you kind of step back and you go, what what are these people doing all week? And I hate to slam reps and such, but you know the reality is when when you look at the problem, it almost always relates to, you're not doing enough stuff. I don't know what you're doing all week. On Tuesday
0: in episode 495, I spoke with Tim Wackel. Tim is also back on Accelerate for the second time. Good guests get invited back, as you probably noticed. And as you'll see in our conversation, Tim delivers the goods with great advice about how you can create killer sales presentations.
2: You know, I, I, my advice, uh, Andy, has always been, and you hit the word, it's its to rehearse. Um, oftentimes, reps think that, um, well, forget reps. I mean, I'll speak in first person. Early on in my sales career, you know, I'd be seat 21 d on an American Airlines flight, and I got my laptop open and I'm going through the deck.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: that little voice inside my head He is brilliant. It's like, oh, they're gonna laugh at this. Oh, they're gonna go wow at this. They're gonna cry when I say that. So that little voice inside your head is usually a pretty doggone good presenter. The challenge is nobody else can hear that little voice inside your head. So there's a big difference between kind of, you know, practicing in your mind and kind of thinking about it and actually physically rehearsing. So if it's a tabletop presentation, you rehearse in a tabletop environment. If it's a stand-up presentation in a boardroom setting, you you try to get as close to the real deal as possible. If it's going to be you know, a group setting with 25, you, you, you want to try to rehearse in an environment that is going to be as similar as possible to the environment you're in, and that seems so fundamental, so basic, but oftentimes, again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, we're running around so fast that we don't even think about doing that and and then we get in front of the customer and we launch and it's like, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I'm not even confident what's on the next slide.
0: Next up, in episode 496, Harry Mills. Harry's the author of an interesting new sales book titled, Zero Resistance, The Science and Secrets of Supercharging Your Sales by Eliminating Buyer Skepticism and Mistrust. Now, in this conversation, Harry and I talk about the central premise of his book, which is that the most effective way to get buyers to a decision is not through the traditional tell-and-sell sales model, but through buyer self-persuasion. You want to check this out. And then listen to the full episode on Accelerate.
4: Yeah, and I mean, even the thing, I mean, if we've talked about consultative selling and relationship-generated selling, but basically all the research shows that people have become very cynical because they feel instead of a a seller having using an open-ended conversation to take them down to pursue a list of possibilities, what they're doing is they're seducing them and guiding them down a pretty well-guided path of discovery, and which and they say, "And I've got that," and so that you've been led to their product. And so what sellers haven't realized, there are two ways basically of influencing someone. There is a way, which is called direct persuasion, and even if it's packaged as consultative selling, it's essentially about using your reasons to influence the customer. Now, the environment's changed that the customer pushes back, and if there's any real friction or push in the relationship, it even becomes harder to deliver some form of provocative or new cutting-edge insult, because you're getting resistance. But what they don't know, there's a much better way to sell, and it's been there for a long time, and it's called self-persuasion. And self-persuasion is when people persuade themselves. But as a seller, what you do is you help them find their own reasons for wanting to buy. Now, what you're doing is when you help people find their own reasons for wanting to buy, there's no resistance. And and, and, and And the reason is very simple. We don't argue with their own reasons.
0: Sure, that's the principle of consistency that's been laid out several times by social psychologists and so on. Yeah, people have this inherent need to be consistent with their own beliefs.
4: What I wrote in 2000, I wrote a book and I subsequently became the Haver-Harvard Managed Mentor on Influencer and I did a lot on self-persuasion and I expected the the sales world to rush in and take up self-persuasion and incorporate it and transform all of their ways of selling, but they didn't. And about three years ago, why well, something before realized? you?
0: Before you go on, so why why is that the case? Why do you think they haven't adopted it?
4: Well, that was a question that I asked, and and then I realised there was no self persuasion. Had all the research had been done on individual pieces of persuasion, whereas for hundred years and more than hundred years now, um, direct persuasion has had a whole variety of processes which have been refined and processed. So anybody who goes to a sales course knows that you start with a sales process which, which starts with something like establish rapport, uncover needs, et cetera, et cetera, through to close the, close the sale. Mm-hmm. And nobody had actually developed a self-persuasion process. And so what I think was happening, people would think, this is a good idea, but how do I implement it? How do I train people in? So that was the first thing. And the second thing was that nobody had actually developed a set of tools, no process, no tools. It was like CRM before the computer. It was like accounting before spreadsheets. Someone had to invent the spreadsheet to make it easier to put the numbers in. And so, so what I realized suddenly, if there was going to be someone who was going to put it together, because I've been working in the area for nearly 20 years, it had to be me. And, and so, hence, zero resistance. And so, zero resistance is really just a set of tools and methods which allow you to build, to use the old language, to build an empathy bridge at the end and, and to close with a, with a statement which gives the customer called, um, it's your choice, um, closes the sale more successfully. And once people see the process and once they understand the process, and because they intuitively relate to it, because they hate being told what to do to themselves.
0: In episode 497, I spoke with Andy Fowler. Andy's the co-founder and CTO of Nutshell CRM. We had a great conversation about whether CRM systems are just command and control systems or whether they can really help the individual sales rep to build better relationships with buyers and help the buyers in their decision-making process. And at the end, we delve into the future of CRM and Andy gives us thoughts on what future CRM systems will look like.
5: Uh, great question I think there's gonna be a couple of angles you know base has clearly base CRMs clearly staked out that uh, that they think the future of sales is in data science and and AI and machine learning and, and all of that and uh, uh, and even Salesforce you know they have they put a slightly friendlier face on it with Einstein mm-hmm. uh, a lot of companies are kind of uh, uh, I would say drinking that kool-aid that, that takes me back to my rant that you know sales is, is still about building relationships and that that data can only take you so far so what I would be looking for and be eager and, and more more intimidated by when it comes to competition is 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 products that really understand um, how to understand the relationships that you're building with your customers rather than the data about your customers and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that anyone has has well figured that out yet and uh, actually maybe the the most interesting piece there was uh, Microsoft's purchase of LinkedIn and right, uh, right. Uh, I, I don't think it's a perfect way to to understand relationships but it's certainly the, the platform where all of us are on and, and that knows about a lot of our relationships so uh, there's um, there's surely going to be more coming out of that
0: on frontline Friday this week episode 498 Bridget Gleason and I talk about sales principles. Really core sales values and the necessity of having principles guide your sales methods versus the other way around and we discussed some excellent books that describe the value of principles in sales and in business in general
6: well i had I've had Jocko come to just specifically come to several I trained several of my teams so I brought him in at more than one place mm-hmm. and he's fantastic he's amazing he's fantastic I think Jocko is Jocko is great. And we focus on the customer, but we also, there was a lot of, there were a lot of techniques. And and so I guess I'm, I'm, I don't know that we've maybe, uh, I don't know that I think it's as dire as I think you do. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's it. Like I think, I I think that. um, Well, I don't think the world's going to end. I don't think the uh, I don't think the world's. If the world ends, it's going to be for other reasons. It's not because
0: it's not because the sales doesn't have enough customer focus.
4: Exactly. Yeah,
0: we have other Um, threats, but but I but I do think that that are real. But I do think that, and I'm I'm not alone in this. That you know, certain the sales models that are very popular these days are not sustainable and are going to have to evolve fairly substantially over the next two to three years, if you know companies are really going to say yeah how do we how do we really address and help and support our customers how do we become as as Amazon talks about you know obsessed with the customer
6: yeah and i think a lot of it is figuring out how do we in all in the changing landscape that we're in with regards to how people buy and how they find information and seek information how do we stay obsessed and focused on them or i i don't know where to go find them i don't know how to interact with them i don't know how to, i think i think the two sort of go hand in hand i think we're at a place where we're trying to figure out okay things are changing and the way that the customer wants us to interact with him or her is changing and so how do i do that are there tools that will help me do that better in a way that the customer will find less offensive or be more helpful.
0: <laughs> Finally, episode 499 with Nancy Blakey. She's president and chief sales officer of SalesPro Insider. And Nancy's also back on Accelerate for the second time. And we had a great conversation about the sales behaviors that make it easier for buyers to engage with you, the seller. You want to check that out.
3: So, for me, ditching the pitch means getting over wanting to tell people everything that you can do and not be able to, it, without it being connected into something that's important to them. Meaning that you don't start conversations with pitching because like in baseball, if someone's pitched at, they've got some options, including ducking and avoiding it. And so <laughs> we we have to ditch the pitch and instead engage in conversations where we get them talking as much as us, if not more. That's what I think ditch the pitch is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, and I, but I think one of the, and I agree, I mean, I I think when you come in and I think it's sort of a default behavior is look, I've been loaded up by my marketing department with this, you know, this this pitch, right? And I've been trained maybe on my elevator pitch, my 30 second, and gosh, I want to use it, right? I'm burning to use it. And as you said, it's it's not not a great way to start a conversation. But one of the questions I get asked a lot is is people say, Okay, well, fine. You know, we want to have a conversation, but what am I supposed to do when the customer asks? So, what do you do? How am I supposed to respond to that? How do you coach well, people to, to respond to that?
3: You need to have one or two sentences to be able to give context to what you do. You know, So, we help companies and people grow their sales. Um, and so that we can determine whether that's something we can help you with, I have some questions for you. So, I can give them context and an overview of what I do and then lead it back into into them. In fact, this morning I um, was preparing for a second conversation with a couple of people in one business, and um, in getting ready for it, you know, I have all my notes from last time. I had the research I did last time, and um, we were supposed to today go over um, how our sales force analysis would be the first step and helpful to them. And so I was spending, you know, 35 minutes this morning putting together, you know, here's the slides I want to show them. And, and I kept thinking, you know, I got to connect it to them. But I got so excited about how passionate I was that this was the right thing for them that I caught myself thinking, oh, my gosh, we're not here yet. I st- they haven't really admitted that they're willing to do this And I presented this prematurely. So I really did pitch at the end of the last conversation. And that's dangerous too. So then today he brought in his CFO and he had his sales manager and then the company owner. And then I had to set the stage that I know you're expecting a presentation today. And I'm ready to do that when it's the right time. First, let's confirm and clarify what we talked about last time and answer any additional questions I have or you have. And we spent an hour and five minutes continuing to learn more about their situation and never even got into the product presentation because it still wasn't time to do that.
0: Next week is the July 4th holiday week. We're going to start the week with a couple of repeat episodes, our best episodes from our past. Episode 259 with Mark Hunter is going to be on Monday and on Tuesday, July 4th, episode 331 with my great friend Jill Conrath. Then on Wednesday, sort of a big day, it's episode 500. A big milestone for Accelerate. Be sure you come back and check that out. My guest will be Coca Sexton. So that's it, friends. Another excellent week of Accelerate, the world's best sales podcast. Please take 30 seconds right now. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. I personally want to know what I can do to make this an even more valuable resource for you. For our regular listeners, I'll see you bright and early Monday morning. For everyone else, we'll see you again back here next week. Until then, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.